Trevor, can you tell me a little bit about what your conversations have been like with the Twins this week? A lot of questions about the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Just four days after being drafted by the Minnesota Twins, Trevor Larnick and the Beaver baseball team would face the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Hi again, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Dynasty in the Woods. I'm your host, Josh Warden. Last episode, we began taking a look back at the 2018 baseball postseason through the eyes of Oregon State. And so far, we've covered the regional when Oregon State swept the field to advance to the Super Regional, and the Beavers would again host in Corvallis, a best-of-three series with the winner heading to the college. World Series. Today, we relive the 2018 Corvallis Super Regional. This is Mike Parker welcoming you to game one of the best of three 2018 Corvallis Super Regional baseball game between the Minnesota Golden Gophers and the Oregon State Beavers. I told our guys before the series, I said, man, you're going to take that uniform off and it'll be the last time we ever play together as a team because every team's different. And so if somebody is going to beat you, they're going to have to, they're going to, have to strip you of that uni. Minnesota, under 37th-year head coach John Anderson, enters the regional at 44-13, and 13, winners of 12 straight. I think it's going to be a treat. This is a very balanced veteran Minnesota team. They cruise through the Big Ten. They cruise through the Big Ten tournament. Two outs, nobody on. Luke to the plate, 2-2. Fastball under his hands. Swung out and missed. Strike three. The inning is over. Heimlich retires the side in order with two strikeouts. Luke Heimlich had looked a little bit off in the regional opener, but here in the Super Regional, his first inning was stellar. Three up, three down for the back-to-back Pac-12 pitcher of the year. Going to the bottom of the first, Nick Madrigal laced the first pitch he saw for a single to bring up Trevor Larnick in his first at-bat since being drafted by the Minnesota Twins. First pitch was fastball middle away. I just missed it a little late, and um, you know I wasn't really focused on anything else. I was, I'm always ready for the fastball. He threw me another one that was a little bit up. Out of the stretch works Meyer. The strike one pitch to Trevor. Hit high and deep to left center field. Boxwell goes back to the track, to the fence, so long! A two-run homer for Trevor Larnick. Bittersweet for baseball fans from Minnesota who are sad for the Golden Gophers, but happy for the Twins. And there's probably some fans in Minnesota sort of torn about that homer. The 2-2 pitch to Rutschman hit high in the air to left center. Back goes Boxwell to the track, to the fence, so long again! Adley Rutschman hits it out, back-to-back jacks with the Beavers, and they lead Minnesota 3-0. A quick start for the Beavers. They added another run the next inning and came back for more in the fourth. The pitch to Zach Taylor ripped into the left field corner. That'll be for extra bases. Jack Anderson motors home. Taylor on his way for two. He goes in standing up with a double. Back-to-back two baggers, and the Beavers lead it 5 to nothing. Two balls and one strike to count to Adley Rutschman. Add his legendary grandfather here, national titles at Linfield in baseball and football. And Adley serves this one the other way into the right field corner. Trevor Larnick being waved around by Andy Jenkins. There will be no play at the plate. Rutschman into second with a double. Larnick scores. The Beavers lead it 7 to nothing. 
The 0-1 pitch is sent to the gap into right center field. That'll get another run home. Adley Rutschman scores. Gretler on his way for two. And now thinking about three, a hesitation by Luke Pedersen out in right center field. And Gretler is in with a triple. The Beavers lead it eight to nothing. The offense was in onslaught mode while the defense and pitching also up to the task. Heimlich comes back to the plate, a breaking ball, hooked to right field. Trevor Lornick on the run and backhands it to end the inning. Heimlich delivers, fastball taken, strike three called. Luke comes back with a 1-0 fastball, a jam job by the mound, chased by Grenier at the bag, fires to first, just in time for the out, two down. What a play by the best defensive shortstop in America, Caden Grenier. Defense and strikeouts ruled the day, and Luke Heimlich motored through the first eight innings, allowing just one run. The senior southpaw from Puyallup, Washington, had played in a Beaver uniform for so long, he actually broke the school record in this game for innings pitched in a career. And since this is the Super Regional, win or lose this series, this would be the last appearance Luke would ever make in Corvallis. He even came back out for the ninth inning with the game in hand, 8-1. to one. Anybody getting on base, Jim, you get the feeling that that will be the farewell for Luke one last time in this ballpark. Luke got the leadoff man out and then allowed a single, but stayed in the game. Things rarely go as, as one would script. Rarely do they. If you had any hand in it right now, you would like... I'd like Luke's last pitch in this ballpark to be a strike and a strikeout and then come off to whatever the ovation will sound like. Heimlich got the count to 2-2 two and two on the next batter and then delivered a pitch that made a difficult decision for home plate umpire Kevin Sweeney. Two balls, two strikes, one out. 8-1 Beavers in the ninth. Heimlich delivers just outside. Ball three, three and two. Doesn't Kevin Sweeney know what the script says? <laughs> he goes off script and the count is full. No perfect ending yet for Luke Heimlich. Probably the last batter Heimlich will face in this ballpark. The 3-2 pitch on the way. Fastball taken. Strike three called. Luke Heimlich, one of the finest young men I've ever been around in this program, will come off the bump. He takes his cap off and waves to the crowd. You being, you know, just a few yards away from him playing first base, what do you remember about the crowd and him walking off the field for the last time? Yeah, I kind of just got goosebumps bringing myself back in the moment. Zach Taylor, the first baseman, was standing near Luke Heimlich as the pitcher handed the ball to coach Nate Yeski and walked off the Goss Stadium mound for the final time. I remember Yeski giving him a big hug and, you know, telling him to take a minute to like, you know what, you put in a lot of work for this and you deserve every ounce of this. It's cool because you don't hear him say something like that a lot. And you can tell, so when he did say it, he really meant it. Like you said, it was going to be my last start here at home. I've been here for a long time and this place has been great to me. I love my time here and it's definitely helped me a lot in becoming who I want to be as a person. And so it was a little bit emotional that at the end as I was coming out of the games, just giving everybody hugs, saying I love them. The trials that he went through in his college career, that's a story for another time, but to see kind of what he persevered through, that was a big deal. And the fan reaction was priceless. Well, I haven't heard Goss get like that for one individual person, I don't think ever, at least while I was there. And there were some pretty good players there. 
Trevor Larnick watched the Luke Heimlich curtain call from his spot in right field. Hey, it was special, man, to not only just play behind him, but, you know, just to witness his domination throughout the years. And, you know, me and Jack and left and Quan in center, we were just applauding him because he deserves all the best, man. And I personally, I had goosebumps when the crowd was giving him, you know, they were cheering for him and they gave him a curtain call. I remember being on the mound and just getting absolute chills. And this is something I wasn't even a part of. This was his moment and he 100% deserved it. Luke Heimlich got a standing ovation with two outs in the ninth inning. Sam Tweet got the final out, and Oregon State was one win away from the College World Series. Luke, the opportunity to go to Omaha obviously is, is close. What, what's in your mind about that opportunity for you and your teammates? Yeah, I'm excited for the rest of the season. All of us are. Right now we're focused on tomorrow and the game that's coming up, and then if need be the game the day after that, and then we'll worry about Omaha when we get there. Before we get to the second Minnesota game, I want to take you back to a topic we discussed in episode one of this documentary series. We talked about Pat Casey and how he pushed his players as far as they could go, but also knew delicately when to pull back and make sure he didn't push them too far. Well, one of his players, Michael Gretler, had an interesting comment on that technique. Did you ever get close to the ledge yourself? Absolutely. I think everyone did. You know, maybe outside of uh, guys like Nick Madrigal, who are just so, so special. Nick Madrigal is not just a talented baseball player, although talent alone could get you drafted pretty high, but the fourth overall pick is more known amongst his teammates for how he handles himself. Nick Madrigal has never really dealt with doubt. Even that may smack of braggadocio or whatever in him. No, not at all. That's not part of his makeup. He is as humble genuinely humble and modest as a player as I come, but he's also supremely confident as he should be. Humility and confidence are a fascinating combination to find in one person. Oftentimes, confidence is paired with arrogance and humility is paired with cautiousness or self-doubt. Not always, obviously, and Nick Madrigal is an example. In fact, he's more of an exaggerated example. He's a special player. There's no question. And he's humble. He's gifted. But man, I tell you what, you know, I told him at the beginning of the year that I wanted him to be our captain. I didn't want to have more than one captain, and I wanted him to do that, and that's hard for him because he's, he's, he is a humble guy. I've asked multiple players who the leaders were on the team, and I haven't always gotten the same answer. On one hand, many players led by example, so there wasn't always one guy at the forefront. And also, Pat Casey certainly was the captain of the ship in a large sense. But in another sense, the leader of the 2018 team was Nick Madrigal. You know, deep down, our ultimate leader obviously was Pat, but Madrigal was our ultimate leader in terms of how he played and then just the attitude that he had, the boldness that he had. Having two ultimate leaders could work without one guy undermining the other because Pat Casey wanted that sort of leadership structure, and it showed most on his best teams. Take the 2006 and 2007 national championship teams, and there was another guy on that roster who filled Nick Madrigal's role. Darwin Barney was Nick Madrigal before there was Nick Madrigal. Both guys were star middle infielders, high draft picks, and the team leader for their respective Oregon State seasons, who had that leadership role because Pat Casey did not dominate the locker room. He also empowered his leaders. He empowered his players. Darwin Barney took this role alongside teammate Mitch Canham. Mitch and I in fall, there was a running thing one day, and one player in the fall just threw up, got up, kept running, right? And this other guy kind of hunches over, and he lays down, and he's done, right? And Mitch and I were, went up to Case and we're like, hey, man, this guy's bagging it on us. 
he's like, hey, it's your team. So, you know, we sent him out. And to empower guys like that, it, it really made us feel like it was our team and just that respect level of case. I feel like you know, he'd go to war with me and I'd go to war with him. Pat Casey had developed a culture in the program where the respected team leaders like Darwin Barney could act like coaches. It's no surprise that both Darwin Barney and Mitch Canham are now coaches at Oregon State. And it was a decade after Darwin Barney's career when Nick Madrigal picked up his mantle. When we didn't have coaches at practice, it didn't matter. The attitude and the intensity, the standard was always the sky. And part of that was because of Nick's bold attitude. We all knew why we were there what we were doing and it was obvious and if we weren't doing those things well we were held accountable that's the exact type of thing darwin barney would do and no doubt madrigal holding guys accountable would not have worked if nick wasn't the most motivated hard-working guy to begin with if you look at nick madrigal there are days you had to shut him down hey nick that's enough ground balls we don't even have to say i mean he's one of the greatest competitors probably to ever go to oregon state at least baseball wise if not like of all competition. Jake Thompson was teammates with Nick Madrigal for two years, and it was that 2016 season when Oregon State was left out of the NCAA tournament and bounced back the next year with a school record 56 wins. I give credit, a big credit to Madrigal, how he kind of fueled that. Thompson isn't just talking about Nick Madrigal's on-field performance, he's talking about Nick Madrigal inspiring and leading the team even in the offseason. He will tell you in sort of like a non-aggressive type manner, but basically tell you to like pick up the slack, like you're better than this. He was younger than me, so it was kind of like you really have to take a step up if you're going to be the young guy leading the charge, and he was one of those guys. Nick Madrigal had commanded that level of respect even as an underclassman, and it was in between the first and second Minnesota games here in 2018 when the respect that Madrigal garnered went on full display. There's a story from the second Minnesota game about Novak and being put in the lineup that day. I know this is two years ago, so maybe right, it's totally right. fine if you don't remember. Oh, I remember. You're probably talking about the fact that I'm sitting in my office for the game, and I was notorious for making a lineup about 10 minutes before game time, you know. And uh, we drove every SID crazy, and the scorekeepers, they didn't like it. And, but anyway, somebody came in my office, one of the players, and said, Hey, coach. And he said, You know, I just want you to know, I, I really want Novi in the lineup tonight, and I think the team does. And uh, he kind of looked at me, Hey, man, I hope you don't take that wrong and anything. And so he turns around, gets ready to walk out, and I said, Hey, I really want Novi in the lineup tonight, too. He was talking about how he had a player come into his locker room and, and wanted me to play, and that was Nick Madrigal. You have to be a strong person to walk into Pat Casey's office and tell him, here's what I'd like you to do with your lineup. Nick did it quietly, didn't make a big deal out of it, nor did Pat Casey. And I think that many of the players on that team have actually never heard this story. I didn't even know that. No way. Zach Taylor had no idea Nick Madrigal had done this until I told him about it. But upon hearing the story, Zach knew that's totally something Nick would do. It's very hard when you're at a level like that to not be selfish. To be honest, you're drafted in the first round, you're the top five pick. There, there's so much more, you know, than just finishing out this postseason. Like you have your whole career ahead of you. But for him to say that, I think that's truly having the best interest of the team. 
After all, Madrigal gains no personal benefit from this. He'd be batting third and playing second base no matter what. To really speak your mind, especially the case too, like that's no easy task. But again, that just shows their relationship. And that's why that team was so special because we were able to have very well thought out communication with our coaching staff. They take the input of their players too. And that, that was the coolest thing. You learn something about all three people involved in this story. Nick Madrigal shows his confidence to tell Case his opinion on the lineup. You see how considerate Pat Casey is and willing to take advice from a 21-year-old. And you learn something about the guy who got put in the lineup, Kyle Novak. Tells you something about Novi because he couldn't hardly walk. Um, they wanted him to line up for a reason, and it was because of that presence, that mindset, that energy. Kyle Novak had persevered through two knee surgeries, one of them just a couple months earlier. I know he had the surgery, like he could be on the sideline, but he would find a way to just feel like he was there all the time. Jake Thompson was on the team in 2017 when Oregon State made the College World Series and Kyle Novak came with the team despite being injured. Kyle was definitely one of the definitions of the guy that just wants to win. The guy that you bring to Omaha, whether he's hurt or not, because he helps the team. In 2018, Novak could actually play, although he was still only at about 75% health, but nonetheless, Nick Madrigal interceded on his behalf. So Nick was a real reason why I was in that lineup, and I was at a point in my life I put so much time into this game, and I'm a firm believer that at a certain point, this game does reward people for the work that they've put in, and, and same with life. We're gonna fail and fail and fail, but at a certain point, you, you can bust through. Kyle Novak was put in the lineup, batting seventh and the designated hitter for game two of the Super Regional. Bryce Femmel would take the mound for Oregon State, Patrick Fredrickson for Minnesota, a freshman with a 9-0 record. If the Beavers could get through him, the reward was a ticket to the College World Series. Game two of the best two out of three NCAA Corvallis Baseball Super Regional between the Beavers and the Minnesota Golden Gophers with the Beavers looking for a second trip in a row to the College World Series if they can win tonight. Just talking to some people, I, I was hearing, well, oh, Minnesota, man, they, they're not very good. No, that really That's wasn't not it. That's no. not the way it happened. Oregon State was just very good. The conditions, all things considered right now, not too bad. Another sellout crowd already. What about Fredrickson and the key to get on him tonight? I think to get on him early would be big. Crazy. I mean, for a freshman, 6-7, throwing the ball downhill, I've watched him on tape until my eyes are about shut. Ball wiggles, it moves, he throws sliders in 2-2 two -two counts, 3-1 counts, he throws chains, it runs away from left-handed hitters. As we get underway, Patrick Fredrickson, the big right-hander out of Gig Harbor, throws a strike, and Daryl Arnold lets us know emphatically, the home plate umpire, that that pitch was indeed in there. The 1-1 changeup, a ground ball into center field for a base hit. Caden Grenier does a nice job. Fredrickson delivers. Madrigal, a ground ball into right field for a base hit. Grenier will go to third, and the Beavers with something going from the outset tonight. The Beavers threatened to get on Patrick Fredrickson early with Grenier and Madrigal notching singles. Then Madrigal stole second, so there's two runners in scoring position with one out for the future Minnesotan Trevor Larnick. Larnick swings and it's a ground ball into shallow right, gathered by Pedersen, can't come up with it. Scoring is Larnick, Madrigal started to come, now he's going to be thrown out at third. Madrigal took too big of a turn, Grenier scored. 
The out at third base limited the damage to one run, but OSU still had the lead. Going to the bottom of the first, Oregon State had the trustworthy Bryce Femmel on the mound. Minnesota had a funky lineup, though, with six left-handed hitters, including each of the first five batters. Lefties theoretically have the advantage against right-handed pitchers like Bryce Femmel, but Pat Casey had the advanced stats to know the full story. Well, what's odd is that they only have one left-hander that hits right-handers better. Almost every one of their left-handers average is higher against left-handed pitching than it is against right-handed pitching. And that's because they do such a good job staying on the ball. They really try to take the ball the other way. So Bryce Femmel would actually have the advantage, apparently. And true to Pat Casey's word, that's how things played out in the first couple innings. Facing the five lefties at the beginning of the lineup, Bryce Femmel retired all five in a row. Femmel rocks, kicks, delivers two, two. Fastball in there. Strike three call. Two down. Then a right-hander got a hit in the second inning, and a left-hander grounded out to end the frame, so Femmel notched two scoreless innings with left-handed hitters going 0 for 6 and the right-handed batter 1 for 1. How's that for analytics? The problem was, after OSU got that one run in the first inning off of Patrick Fredrickson, the freshman pitcher from Minnesota was locked in. Fredrickson delivers in a staggering swing and miss by Zach Taylor, who's down in the count now. And already Fredrickson, Jim, is showing the, the guile. The right-hander ready in the strike two pitch, taken strike three call. Fredrickson, the Washington native who had long wanted to play in Goss Stadium, got on a roll. Strike two fastball is swung on and missed for strike three. And so with each out, the big kid, the freshman from Gig Harbor, who wanted, according to his father, Jay, wanted Oregon State to look at him, wanted to come here, and at the time wasn't quite the guy that he is now and made offers in other places. Then the kid really took off, Jim, and that can be the way of the world. But even so, I'm sure he's loving to be having some early success. Bryce Femmel maintained Oregon State's 1-0 lead for the first two innings, but things got sticky in the third, with Femmel giving up a single, then a wild pitch, and an RBI single to tie the game. The Beavers, who have not trailed in the postseason, the only team in the entire tournament that can say that, has been caught. It's 1-1, but Oregon State responded with a one-out double in the fourth inning by Trevor Larnick. Then Adley Rutschman walked, so two runners on base, one out for Michael Gretler. The pitch to Gretler is a soft fly ball caught for a double play. Luke Pedersen catches it, throws to Vavra, and the double play in the books. And Minnesota's got the momentum here now. There is no question about that. Minnesota will try to be the first team to take a lead against the Beavers in the postseason. It got worse from there. Bottom of the fourth inning, Bryce Stemmel allowed a single and then hit two batters to load the bases with one out. The runners go, the 3-2 fastball taken, ball four, and the run scores. That pitch did not miss by much. So when the Beavers came up to bat in the fifth inning, they trailed 2-1, but they put two runners on base with a Kyle Novak walk and a Jack Anderson single to turn the lineup over for Stephen Kwan. Fredrickson works Stephen Kwan, who's 0 for 2. Kwan, a line drive, base hit to center field. Kyle Novak rounding third on his way to the plate. He will score. Stephen Kwan, a base hit to center field. And the Beavers pull even at 2. The unfortunate part is that Oregon State made a habit of bittersweet innings. Just like the first inning, when the Beavers scored but also got thrown out at third base, Quan tied the game here with an RBI single, but then Caden Grenier and Nick Madrigal both flew out to leave two runners aboard, and the game still tied. Two on, two out, and a 2-2 tie. Femmel out of the stretch, and a base hit into right field. So Minnesota will regain the lead. 
The good thing for OSU is that this game apparently had a cap on how many runs could score per inning. That was the fifth run of the game between the two teams, all of them in one-run innings. 3-2 to two Minnesota after five. And that's where both teams hit an offensive standstill. The 2-2 pitch taken, strike three called. The pitch to Adley swung on and missed strike three. The 2-2 pitch on the way, hit off the end of the bat slowly to the right side, charged by Pedersen. Luke fires to first in time for out number two. A new Goss Stadium at Coleman Field record of 4,025 people watched Oregon State and Minnesota go an hour and 16 minutes of real time without a run scored or even a runner in scoring position in the sixth and seventh innings. If there is a tomorrow, the Beavers would be think there's going to be a tomorrow no guarantees but if there is a baseball game tomorrow the Beavers would be the home team. Bryce Femmel was pulled after completing six innings giving up three earned runs. Not a terrible line but not quite his best and the Beavers trailed three to two when he exited. Fem did a great job of keeping us in the game you know he didn't have his best stuff today but you know he's a fighter. You know it was uncharacteristic of Femmel tonight to be out of sync. The Beavers inserted lefty Christian Chamberlain, which on paper would be an advantageous matchup versus the left-handed heavy lineup of Minnesota. But remember, Minnesota actually hits left-handed pitchers better, so Christian Chamberlain would theoretically be at a disadvantage. We're just going to go with our strength, and uh, at the time we thought Christian was the best choice. The 2-2 breaking ball taken, strike three calls. Chamberlain's 2-2 pitch to Vavra, got him swinging, two down. Christian Chamberlain out of the stretch, delivers 3-2, fastball, swung on and missed, strike three to retire the side. Chamberlain strikes out the side, the Beavers hope that can be an inspiration as they come to the plate in the eighth. Competing I think is the biggest thing. I had all three pitches today which was awesome, but being competitive is the biggest thing on the mound. Chamberlain coming in and just being lights out, I mean that was huge. Caden Grenier was 0 for 5 last night. Kyle Novak, the only other Beaver that went hitless. Look for both of those guys to carry the team. It's just <laughs> the way this uh, offense has worked. Jim Wilson actually said that back in the first inning, and it had already come somewhat true. The only players to score for Oregon State so far, Caden Grenier and Kyle Novak. But before either of them got a chance in the eighth inning, Trevor Larnick drew a one-out walk to bring up Adley Rutschman, who would get a second shot at Max Meyer after striking out the first time. I think just being able to see a pitcher as, as much as possible helps. Obviously, didn't really want to strike out there. But I think just being able to see uh, his stuff and, you know, get multiple ABs off of him was good. The right-hander's 1-2 pitch. Rutschman, a ground ball into left field for a base hit. Trevor Lornick will stop at second. What a nice piece of hitting by Adley Rutschman. With two outs, up came Kyle Novak. The redshirt senior was hitless the day before, still only 75% healthy in the lineup because Nick Madrigal personally requested him, and now he's got the tying run at second base in the eighth inning. Everything is an opportunity. It was just an opportunity for me to show that, hey, I'm healthy enough to make a push here. Novak, a veteran, 50-year collegiate player, did not play last season, coming back from two knee surgeries this year. Pat Casey has loved his toughness and grit, and I think that he likes having a guy like Novak in this kind of situation. Kyle trying to come through and get the Beavers even. The 1-0 pitch on the way is a line drive, base hit to right field. Lornick scores. The ball game is even. Into third base goes Rutschman. The Beavers pull leader with Novak coming through. It's a 3-3 tie. 
Nick Madrigal's petition for Kyle Novak turned out to be quite fortuitous. The Beavers left two on base to leave the game tied into the ninth inning, but at least the pressure was lessened. I told you, what I tell you? One of the two hitless guys yesterday, he's got to get the big hit today. The freshman Christian Chamberlain went back to the mound in the bottom of the eighth, not to keep the deficit at one run, but to keep the game tied. Chamberlain kicks and comes to the plate to Boxwell. Fastball taken. Strike three called. Two down. Boy, how good is the kid, Ben? He's come in and struck out five. He's got five outs. The flurry of strikeouts finally ended when Chamberlain induced a flyout to send it to the ninth inning. The game still tied at three runs apiece. Hi, everybody. Just a quick interruption here on Dynasty in the Woods. I use this podcast series to benefit local and international charities. And one of the local ones is Old Mill Center, which has six distinct programs that address the educational, social, emotional, and family needs of a diverse population of children right here in Benton County. Their vision is to ensure that all children have access to early education, behavioral, and mental health services to give them the best possible start in life. They're very much a community organization. They serve local kids and families and do that because they're so supported by so many individuals, companies, and agencies in our community. So if you can support them through the various fundraisers they've got or just by donating online at oldmillcenter.org. Again, that's oldmillcenter.org. And if you donate, you can actually get early access to these episodes and listen to them uh, before everyone else does. So there's one little incentive for donating to Old Mill Center or any one of the other featured nonprofits. All right, back to the ninth inning, Oregon State and Minnesota here on Dynasty in the Woods. 3-3, top of the ninth. Minnesota hoping they'll be in a position to win it with a run. The top of the order, good hitters, do up. One away, Stephen Kwan to the plate in this 3-3 tie. 1-2 pitch to Stephen, a chopper up along third. Micah Coffey charges, gloves, throws, not in time. Kwani beats it out, and the Beavers have the go-ahead run at first in the top of the ninth inning. Stephen Kwan started the momentum in the ninth inning, one out with the score tied, and Caden Grenier to follow. And here's my guy, He's supposed to win the game for us. <laughs> Jim Wilson had predicted Caden Grenier and Kyle Novak would be the heroes of this game in particular. Well, Kyle Novak had notched the tying RBI. Would Caden Grenier record the game-winning RBI? The 3-3 tie, top of the ninth. Caden Grenier at the plate with one out. The 2-2 pitch is looped into shallow right field. It'll drop for a base hit. Juan into second. Okay, not the game-winning RBI, but not bad. Runners on first and second, only one out, and the dangerous Nick Madrigal at the plate. Nick got to a hitter's count at 2-0, then 3-0, then ball four. A four-pitch walk to load the bases, and that only brought up... Trevor Lornick in the top of the ninth inning. The bases are loaded with one out. Trevor would face a new pitcher in Jackson Rose. Rose, a senior from Omaha, a place the Beavers are trying to get to, and Larnick could certainly help them do it again. He did last year as the RBI leader. Rose came out firing, putting Larnick quickly in a hole, no balls and two strikes. Kicks and delivers, swung out and missed on the fastball. Strike three, two down, and here comes Adley Rutschman, a.k.a. Adley Clutchman, trying to be the guy. So now Adley Rutschman with two outs, no sack fly as an option anymore, can either deliver the go-ahead run or leave the bases loaded in the ninth inning. This is the same Adley Rutschman that went from a 234 hitter the year prior 
all the way to a 408 average in 2018. Adley was definitely already a, a guy at that point. I mean, he'd broken through so much in the 2018 season. Earlier in the year, it seemed like the first five or six home games for the Beavers, Adley had the go-ahead or the key hit in the seventh inning or later every single time. The Clutchman moniker had come out. It was, it was just pretty crazy how much the guy delivered. Adley Rutschman awaits with a count of one and two. What a lift it would be for the Gophers. If they get out of this, Jim, needing a run to win, they're going to be alive and well in their dugout. Jackson Rose in this 3-3 tie delivers 1-2. A line drive beats it to center field. In comes Quan. Grenier will score. Adley Clutchman comes through. The Beavers lead it 5-3. If the Clutchman moniker wasn't already cemented, it was now, and that big hit started to unravel Minnesota. The strike one pitch to Gretler hits Michael. Jackson Rose works no back and hits no back. And that brings a run in, a painful run. Gretler hit, now no back hit. Madrigal down the line to score, and the Beavers lead it 6-3. to three. Kyle Novak picked up the RBI to score none other than the guy who wanted him in the lineup, Nick Madrigal, and Oregon State went to the bottom of the ninth with a three-run cushion, which felt pretty big with their standout closer on the mound. With Jake Mulholland looking for the save and the return to Omaha, the 2-2 pitch taken, strike three called! The Beavers win the Super Regional. They're heading back to Omaha. Mulholland strikes out the side. The Beavers win it 6-3. to three. I just feel fortunate now because we get to celebrate and go back to Omaha. Omaha is a special place. You know, ever since, you know, we made the last out against LSU last year, you know, we've been set on this moment, getting back to Omaha. Almost 300 teams starting this journey and eight get to go to Omaha. I think this is my sixth time there, which is crazy. And I remember the first day I stepped on the field in 05 and I thought I was in baseball heaven. And uh, you never know if you're ever going to get back. And crazy things happen there. But look at the scene down below, Jim. What a special group of men in a remarkable two-year run. The Beavers sweep the Corvallis Regional, sweep the Super Regional, and are heading back to the College World Series. The Beavers deciding it with three runs, and they're taking a victory lap, Jim. This is a beautiful sight before this record crowd. Those that remain are being treated to the entire Oregon State team taking a walking lap around from left field towards right field and Jack Anderson and others, Stephen Kwan, they're climbing up the fence to hug those folks who get here early. All off season long, you know, we weren't afraid to talk about it. We we knew this was one of our goals to to come back to Omaha. We're not gonna think much of it. It's the same game. We know we got a long way to go to our ultimate goal, but um, this is definitely a good start for us. This has been Episode 8 of Dynasty in the Woods. Next week, we move on to the College World Series. The best moments of the 2018 postseason are yet to come, so stay tuned and you can actually listen to the rest of the series right now by becoming a premium member. To learn more, click on the link in the episode description. Copyright broadcast used with permission from Learfield IMG College. Thanks again for listening to Dynasty in the Woods. My name is Josh Warden. Talk to you next week from Omaha, Nebraska.